Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and my cohort is Katie. Can everybody see me? I mean, you know this is a podcast, and I'm the only one who can see you, right? Hush, I'm doing a thing. Can everybody see me? Can you all hear me? Excellent. (laughs) Well, they can certainly hear you. Excellent. Then we may commence to the rolling rehash. (laughs) Last week, we discussed Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger, and the corresponding film scenes. Hermione gets her plot on, The Rogue Bludger only has eyes for Harry, Draco fails at sports even harder than me, Lockhart Appendix is up yet again, Madame Pomfrey will be taking none of your shit, Dumbledore just can't picture, and Colin Creevy is the Hogwarts freeze tag champion of 1992. During episode 28, the appendix of the Wizarding World, our Potter pondering was, do you prefer the way the movies dramatize the Quidditch matches or the way the book describes them? In other words, is Quidditch more interesting in your head or on film? All in all, there was a resounding response declaring that book Quidditch was the preference. Though Jackson says that it looks great in the film, his imagination gives a really vivid picture when he reads the book's description. Quincy also thinks they look good on the film, but the in-depth details of the books make him feel like he's there. Carly also finds the books to be more in-depth and says that Lee's commentaries would have been spectacular. She also would have liked to see Oliver Wood being his crazy self. In general, she wishes there could have been more, but understands why they couldn't put it all in. I think in general, a lot of people wish the movies had more. And Zach pointed out that he is Slytherin, but that they make him so mad in the books in Quidditch. Yeah, as a Slytherin myself, I have to say... Slytherins are dicks in sports. We- <laughs> it's it's part of the reason I don't play sports. Is Because you'd be a dick? I hate to lose more than I love to win. So I'm smart enough to just say, you know what? I'm just not going to compete because I don't want that side of me to come out. And I'm aware of that in myself. So I'm a self-aware Slytherin, I guess. But <laughs> Well, that makes sense. But let's just keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Not everyone said they preferred the books, though. Hallie said that she gets bored reading about Quidditch, but doesn't mind watching it. Which I feel like you could relate to, though I'm not sure you even enjoy watching it all that much. I mean, I need something pretty to look at to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like, so if Oliver Wood is on screen, I'm down. I'll watch it. But, you know, Marcus Flint? Eh, Maybe if his mouth is shut? I'm very shallow like that. I just am. But I mean, who doesn't like looking at all of her wood? Oliver Wood. That's what I said. Mm. Anyways, Dave said that all he's got to say is that's not how it happened in the movie, which I love because it's referencing one of our latest t-shirt designs that we will talk about later. (laughs) Yep. For now, thank you for your responses. And let's move on to last week's trivia question, which was, what two ingredients did the trio have to steal from Snape's private stores? Of the seven ingredients needed to make Polyjuice Potion, four were in the student store cupboard. One was a bit of the person they were turning into. Not toenails, though. Ooh, no, not toenails. And the last two, which they had to steal from Snape's private stores. Harry caused a distraction in class, and Hermione snuck into Snape's office to steal powdered horn of a bicorn and shredded skin of a boomslang. Or just bicorn horn and boomslang skin. Congratulations again goes to Sam Jane. This is three weeks in a row, and no one even came close this time. Carly commented under his answer, simply saying, Damn! Tave did say that he was talking to a friend on the phone and didn't realize it was after 11 until he had already missed it. So maybe there could still be some competition out there? I don't know, maybe? We haven't seen Quincy answer in a while. Mm -hmm. He still has a few weeks before Sam starts to near his eight-week streak, but it seems like there's a good chance someone could give him a run for his money. 
We also want to shout out Max, who did roll in well after Sam, but answered anyways and says he will claim the British win. And we will hear more about Max later, since he's our sorting hat story for this episode. Yep, in the meantime, congratulations again for your third win in a row, Sam. And let's just keep rolling into Chapter 11, The Dueling Club and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 11, The Dueling Club Harry wakes up on Sunday morning with a very stiff, reboned arm. Colin's bed has been blocked from view. Madame Pomfrey sees that he's awake, brings over breakfast, and begins to bend and stretch his arm and fingers. She lets him leave when he finishes eating. Harry heads off to Gryffindor Tower to find Ron and Hermione, but they aren't there. So he heads off to look for them, a little hurt that they didn't try to meet him at the hospital wing. He runs into Percy outside the library and asks if he's seen Ron or Hermione. Percy says he hasn't and that he hopes Ron isn't in another girl's toilet. Harry forces a laugh and heads straight for Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. He slips in and hears their voices coming from a locked cubicle. His arrival initially startles them, but they let him in and explain that they decided to get the polyjuice potion ready and thought the bathroom was the safest place to hide it. They already know about Colin, which is why they wanted to get started on the potion. Harry fills them in on Dobby's visit, telling them that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened before. Ron is sure that Lucius must have opened it before and told Draco how to do it now. The news of Colin Creevy spreads around the school by Monday morning. Rumors and suspicions are flying around. The first years travel in packs, and Ginny is distraught. Neville bought several talismans to protect himself, despite being a pureblood. He's worried because he's almost a squib. In the second week of December, McGonagall comes around collecting the names of the students staying over the Christmas holidays. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sign her list. They heard Malfoy is staying too, which is very suspicious, but the holidays will be the perfect time to use the Polyjuice Potion. The potion is only half finished because they still need the Bicorn Horn and the Boomslang Skin, which they are going to have to steal from Snape's office. They plan for Harry to cause a diversion in potions class, so Hermione can do the actual stealing since she has a clean record. That Thursday, while the Gryffindor and Slytherin second year students brew their swelling solutions, Harry pulls out a filibuster firework and lights it with his wand. He takes careful aim and lobs it right into Goyle's cauldron, which explodes and splashes the surrounding people with the solution. While Snape tries to restore calm and figure out what happened, Hermione slips into his office and returns with the front of her robes bulging. Snape distributes the antidote and scoops out the remnants of the firework from Goyle's cauldron. He threatens whoever did it with expulsion if he finds out who, and clearly suspects Harry. The trio hurry back to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom to add the new ingredients, and Hermione declares that it will be ready in a fortnight. A week later, the trio are walking across the entrance hall when they see some people gathering around a notice, reading about a dueling club that is to start that night. They decide to attend, and at 8 o'clock that evening, they meet in the Great Hall. The dining tables were gone, replaced with a golden stage. As they wonder who will be teaching them, Lockhart walks onto the stage, accompanied by Snape. Lockhart has everyone gather around and tells them Professor Dumbledore gave him permission to start the club, to train them up in case they needed to defend themselves, as he has on countless occasions. For full details, see his published works. He introduces Snape as his assistant and assures the students that they will still have their potions master when he is through. The two teachers turn to one another and bow, then raise their wands. Lockhart counts to three and Snape cries Expelliarmus, blasting Lockhart backwards and disarming him. Lockhart shakily stands up and explains that was a disarming charm, pretending he had allowed Snape to disarm him to show the class. He decides to pair off the students so they can practice amongst themselves and has Snape help him. Snape reaches Harry and Ron first and decides to pair Harry with Malfoy instead, partnering Ron with Seamus and Hermione with a Slytherin girl, Millicent Bulstrode. Harry and Draco face each other and barely bow when instructed to do so. Lockhart tells them to cast the disarming charm only on the count of three, but Malfoy starts on two, hitting Harry with a spell that causes him to stumble. Harry retaliates and hits Malfoy with the tickling charm, Rictusempra. Malfoy manages to get another spell out between wheezes, casting Tarantallegra on Harry, whose legs start jerking uncontrollably. Lockhart is screaming for them to stop, and Snape takes charge, saying Finite and Cantatum. 
Everything stops except Hermione and Millicent who are wrestling as Millicent has Hermione in a headlock. Lockhart decides to have a volunteer pair, initially choosing Neville Longbottom and Justin Finch Fletchley. But Snape says that Longbottom causes devastation with the simplest of spells and suggests using Malfoy and Potter instead. Lockhart agrees and gives Harry instructions, demonstrating a wand wiggle and dropping it. Snape whispers in Malfoy's ear and the two boys face one another. Lockhart counts from three to one and Malfoy yells, Serpent Sortia, shooting a long black snake from the end of his wand. Snape tells Harry not to move, he will get rid of it, but Lockhart butts in, saying, allow me, before brandishing his wand at the snake and causing it to fly ten feet into the air. The angered snake hits the ground and raises itself, poised to strike at Justin Finch Fletchley. Without even thinking, Harry runs towards the snake and yells for it to leave him. The snake slumps back down, but instead of being grateful, Justin looks angry and scared and asks Harry what he's playing at, before storming out of the hall. Snape vanishes the snake, looking curiously at Harry, and Ron and Hermione usher Harry out of the Great Hall. Back in the Gryffindor common room, Ron tells Harry that he's a parcel mouth and asks why he didn't tell them. Harry doesn't know what that is, and Ron explains it means he can talk to snakes. Harry says he knows he accidentally set a boa constrictor on his cousin Dudley at the zoo before he knew he was a wizard. Harry expects that loads of people can talk to snakes, and Ron explains that it isn't very common and is bad. Harry tries to say that if he had not told the snake not to attack Justin, but Ron interrupts him saying, oh, that's what you said to it, and explains that he heard him speaking parcel tongue, and it sounded creepy like he was egging the snake on. Harry doesn't understand how he could have spoken another language without realizing it, and also doesn't understand how it's bad since he stopped the snake from biting Justin's head off. Hermione speaks up telling Harry that it's bad because talking to snakes was something Salazar Slytherin was famous for. Ron adds that everyone is going to think that he's Slytherin's great-great-great-great-grandson or something. Harry denies this, but Hermione points out that it will be hard to prove since he lived about a thousand years ago. Harry has a hard time sleeping that night, worrying he could be a descendant of Slytherin, trying to speak more parcel tongue, and telling himself that he's in Gryffindor, even though the little voice in his head reminds him that the Sorting Hat wanted to put him in Slytherin. The next morning, Herbology is canceled due to a blizzard, and Harry continues to fret by the fire in their common room until Hermione tells him to go find Justin if it's that important. Harry heads off, finding a group of Hufflepuffs in the library. As Harry approaches them, he hears what they're saying and hesitates to listen in unseen. Ernie is saying that Justin has been waiting for something like that to happen since he let it slip to Potter that he is muggle-born. Hannah asks if he definitely thinks it's Potter, and Ernie talks about how he's a parcel mouth, just like Slytherin. He says that Enemies of the Air Beware was written on the wall, and Potter had a run-in with Filch. Filch's cat was attacked. Then he was being annoyed by Colin Creevy. Colin was attacked. Hannah says that he always seems so nice and he was the one who made you-know-who disappear, so he can't be all bad. Ernie thinks that Harry was able to survive the attack because he was a powerful dark wizard, and that was why you-know-who wanted to kill him in the first place. Harry decides he's heard enough and clears his throat. He tells them that he's looking for Justin to tell him what really happened to the dueling club, and Ernie says they saw him chase the snake at Justin. They argue a bit about what happened before Harry storms off in a fury. He runs right into Hagrid, who's holding a dead rooster. Hagrid wonders why Harry isn't in class, then explains about the rooster, telling him it's the second one that's been killed. He looks closely at Harry, asking if he's alright, saying he looks hot and bothered. Harry tells him it's nothing and that he better go get his books for transfiguration. He heads up the stairs, turns down another corridor, and trips over something on the floor. He looks at it and realizes he tripped over a petrified Justin Finch Fletchley. He also sees a black and smoky petrified, nearly headless Nick floating in midair. While trying to figure out what he should do to help them, Peeve shows up and begins yelling about the attack. Teachers and students come running. Ernie shows up and declares Harry to be caught in the act before Professor McGonagall silences him. Justin is carried to the hospital wing, and McGonagall tasks Ernie with wafting nearly headless Nick there with a conjured fan. She then turns to Harry and asks him to follow her. Harry swears he didn't do it, but McGonagall says it's out of her hands. She walks him to a large stone gargoyle, says Sherbet Lemon, and the gargoyle comes to life, moving aside to reveal a spiral staircase. 
They step onto it and rise upwards until Harry can see an oak door with a knocker in the shape of a griffin, and he realizes this must be Dumbledore's office. The movie starts out transitioning into a bathroom. Hermione's voice is saying, Again? You mean the Chamber of Secrets has been open before? The camera pans the rest of the way into the bathroom, where Harry and Hermione are sitting on the floor and Ron is leaning against a bathroom stall. As Hermione adds ingredients to a cauldron sitting in front of her, Ron theorizes that Lucius Malfoy must have opened the chamber before, and now he has told Malfoy how to do it. Hermione thinks that is possible, but says they need to wait for the polyjuice potion to be sure. Ron wonders why they are brewing the potion in the middle of the day in the middle of a girl's lavatory, worrying that they will get caught. Hermione explains that no one ever uses the bathroom because of Moaning Myrtle. As Ron asks who Moaning Myrtle is, the ghost of a girl in pigtails floats out of a stall and declares herself to be Moaning Myrtle and flies above the sinks. She says she wouldn't expect him to know her, calling herself ugly, miserable, moping Moaning Myrtle, before flying back down and diving into a toilet with a splash. Hermione says she's a little sensitive, and Ron just looks at her in disbelief. The scene switches to the Great Hall, where about a hundred students are gathered around a platform showing the phases of the moon. Lockhart walks across it, asking if everyone can see him and hear him. He says that Professor Dumbledore granted him permission to start a dueling club to train everyone up in case they needed to defend themselves, as he has on many occasions. He then directs them to his published works for more details and takes off his cloak, tossing it into a crowd of delighted girls. Lockhart introduces Professor Snape as his assistant, saying that he has agreed to help him with a demonstration. But not to fear, they will still have their potions master when he is finished with him. Snape glides onto the platform and approaches Lockhart with an expression of grave unamusement. The two raise their wands in front of their faces, lower them, and bow before turning their backs on one another, and pacing to opposite sides of the platform. They each take a dueling position. Lockhart counts to three, and Snape says, Expelliarmus, slashing his wand, sending Lockhart flying backwards and disarming him. Hermione wonders if he's alright, and Ron doesn't care. Lockhart gets up and announces that it was an excellent idea for Snape to show them that, but it was pretty obvious what he was about to do, and only too easy to stop him, if he had wanted to. Snape suggests that they teach the students how to block unfriendly spells. Lockhart agrees and calls for Potter and Weasley to volunteer. Snape says that Weasley's wand causes devastation with the simplest spells, and suggests they use Malfoy instead. Draco and Harry prepare to duel one another. Draco says, Scared Potter? And Harry replies, You wish. They pace away from one another, and Lockhart tells them to only try to disarm one another on the count of three. He begins counting, and on two, Malfoy says, Averte statim, throwing Harry backwards, flipping through the air. Harry stands back up and hits Malfoy with Rick Sempra, sending him spiraling through the air and landing hard on his behind. Malfoy looks up at Snape, who pulls him up and pushes him back toward the duel. Lockhart yells out that he said to disarm only, but Malfoy casts Serpent Sorcia, and a cobra shoots out of the end of his wand and slithers towards Harry. Snape tells him he will get rid of it, but Lockhart jumps in and attempts to take care of it, saying, Alate ascendere, and sending the snake flying in the air. It lands and angrily turns its sights onto a Hufflepuff boy. Harry begins walking towards the snake, speaking to it in a whispery, hissed language. Snape looks very surprised as Harry speaks to the snake. The snake is still focused on the Hufflepuff boy, hissing and showing its fangs until Harry says a few more hissed words and it turns towards him instead. Snape says, Vipera Ivanesca, and the snake dissolves and the boy wonders what Harry is playing at and everyone else looks scared and confused. After that, the film transitions to Harry running into the Gryffindor common room, closely followed by Ron and Hermione. Ron declares Harry to be a parcel mouth and wonders why he never told them. Harry doesn't know what that means and Hermione explains that he can talk to snakes. Harry tells them about accidentally setting a python on his cousin at the zoo, but says he bets loads of people can do it. Hermione corrects him, telling him it isn't a very common gift and it's bad. Harry asks how it can be because he told the snake not to attack Justin and Ron says, Oh, that's what you said. Harry realizes that no one could understand him and wonders how he could speak another language without knowing it. Hermione says she doesn't know, but that it sounded like he was egging the snake on. She goes on to tell him that Salazar Slytherin was also a parcel mouth. 
Ron says that the whole school is going to think Harry is Slytherin's great-great-great-grandson or something. Harry says he isn't, but Hermione points out that he lived a thousand years ago, and for all they know, he could be. The scene moves to the library, where the trio are working on schoolwork. Harry is very distracted by all the students staring at him and decides to head back to the common room. Once in the corridor, he hears the creepy whisper in what seems to be the wall again. He turns the corner and finds nearly headless Nick and Justin both petrified. He squats down to check on Justin and Filch shows up, thinking he caught him in the act and saying he will have him out this time. Harry tries to protest, but Filch walks away. Harry sees more spiders crawling in a line out the window, and Filch returns with Professor McGonagall. Harry swears he didn't, but McGonagall says it's out of her hands. She walks him down a corridor to an alcove with a large griffin statue and gestures for him to step in, telling him that Professor Dumbledore will be waiting for him. Once in the alcove, she says, Sherbert Lemon, and the griffin begins to turn, raising Harry up on a spiral staircase leading to Dumbledore's office. Quite a bit of this movie section stayed very true to the book. Yeah, honestly, if they didn't delete half the scenes during this part, there would have been very little to talk about. Right? Deleted scenes included. The biggest differences between the book and the movie is how they start out and the omission of deliberately causing mayhem in potions class so Hermione can steal the bicorn horn and boomslang skin from Snape's private store. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. The book starts out with Harry waking up in the hospital wing and having to clumsily feed himself breakfast left-handed while Madame Pomfrey makes sure everything is in order with his newly reboned right arm. Reboned. <laughs> it said that in the book. I wasn't just, like, making up dirty words. It's still dirty. I don't care. Harry is allowed to leave the hospital wing and is disappointed to realize that Ron and Hermione aren't waiting for him. He can't find them in the common room, so he wanders around the castle, runs into Percy outside the library, and asks him if he's seen them. Which he says he hasn't, and that he hopes Ron isn't in another girl's toilet. Which, of course, that is exactly where he is, and this is where the movie starts right in. The trio are starting the polyjuice potion right out in the open in a bathroom and discussing what Harry learned from Dobby. Ron assumes that Lucius must have previously opened the Chamber of Secrets, and now he has taught Draco how to. This is actually very similar to the conversation in the book. Once Harry decides to check the bathroom, he hears Ron and Hermione's voices coming from within a locked stall, not just out in the open. They already know about Colin and decided to get started on the polyjuice potion, figuring that the out-of-order bathroom was the safest place to hide it. The movie uses this opportunity to explain why they are brewing a potion in the middle of the bathroom, but not why they are just sitting on the bathroom floor, because... Ew. Oh, I know, right? That always made me cringe a little. (laughs) But yeah, the book doesn't have to explain it during this section because it's already established that no one uses the bathroom because of Moaning Myrtle, when the movie hasn't even introduced her yet. Until now, because we finally get to meet Moaning Myrtle. Ron asks why they're brewing the potion in the middle of the girl's bathroom in broad daylight, and Hermione answers him by saying, Moaning Myrtle, as if that explains everything. Right, Moaning Myrtle. As Ron is asking who Moaning Myrtle is, she makes her appearance and regales us with disparaging comments, a lot of wailing, and an extreme self-inflicted swirly. Which, ten points across the board. Eh, I'd give her a 9-5, but don't tell her that, because she's a little sensitive. I love the look on Ron's face when Hermione says that in the film. Like, a little? (laughs) (laughs) Rupert has the best facial expressions. Right? Although I'm curious as to why they decided to use a 36-year-old actress to portray Moaning Myrtle. Like, don't get me wrong, Shirley Henderson was great, but why even go that route? Like, did they seek her out for the part, or did she come to them? Maybe they were starting to run out of British child actors. Maybe. But the movie scene transitions to the Great Hall, where about a hundred students are gathered around a platform showing the phases of the moon, waiting for the dueling club to start. That's not how it happened in the book. Before we even get to the dueling club, the book describes the rumors and suspicions flying around. We learn that Jenny is distraught, which is actually a pretty significant comment, though it's paired with some misdirection because we learn she sat next to Colin in Charms. It's then followed up with a distraction in the form of Fred and George trying to cheer her up by taking turns covering themselves in hair or boils and jumping out at her from behind statues. 
Oh my god. I would have loved to see this. But they already cut out half the scenes in this section, so seems unlikely they would have felt the need to include this. Yeah. Sadly. Uh-huh. We also see a very paranoid Neville who purchases several talismans to protect himself. Like, Hogwarts has this black market thing going on. <laughs> and he purchases several talismans to protect himself, even though he's a pureblood, because he's convinced that he's almost a squib and worried that will make him a target. Aw, poor Neville. Plus, we learn that Malfoy has suspiciously decided to remain at Hogwarts for the Christmas holidays, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione all sign up to stay, too, figuring that this will be the best time to use the Polyjuice Potion. But the biggest change, as we mentioned, was leaving out stealing potion ingredients from Snape. Yeah, the movie just lets you think they had access to all of the ingredients without any issues. Again, they cut so much from this section that it seems unlikely they would have even thought to film this scene, but... It would have been so much fun to see. Oh, yeah. Anytime we can have more Alan Rickman being Snape, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Hermione is the one to do the actual stealing, since Harry and Ron would likely be expelled if they got caught, and she has a clean record. Harry just has to cause a distraction, which is enough to make him nervous anyway, because deliberately causing mayhem in Snape's potions class was about as safe as poking a sleeping dragon in the eye. Or poking a sleeping Snape in the eye, for that matter. Or poking Snape in general. Hmm. Good point. But deliberately causing mayhem he does when he lights and tosses a filibuster firework into Goyle's cauldron of swelling solution, causing it to explode and a plethora of people to randomly expand in places. (laughs) Phrasing? Like, are we still doing phrasing? I said what I meant and I meant what I said. Because Malfoy's nose swelled up like a balloon, Goyle's hands reached the size of dinner plates, some students had arms like clubs or puffed up lips. They randomly expanded in places. Then Hermione slips into Snape's office and returns with the front of her robes bulging. Okay, this whole section is definitely full of questionably phrased things. Yeah. Hello. But anyway, Hermione steals the potion ingredients before everyone's even taken the antidote. Then Snape finds the remains of the firework in Goyle's cauldron and threatens the unknown culprit with expulsion. Unknown, but totally known. He definitely suspects Harry. Admittedly, he'd probably suspect Harry even if it wasn't him, though. So Yeah, seriously. The trio then head back to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, and Hermione adds the ingredients, saying the potion will be ready in a fortnight. Then, about a week later, they're walking through the entrance hall and see a notice for the dueling club starting that night, and decide to go. So at 8pm, they meet in the Great Hall with nearly the rest of the school. Which lines us back up with the movie, where, as we mentioned, the students are gathered around the platform with the phases of the moon on it. The book describes it as a golden stage, But that's a fairly minor difference, and the phases of the moon honestly gave a really nice aerial visual for the film scene. Yeah, it really does. Lockhart immediately steps out and calls for their attention. Can everybody see me? Can you all hear me? Excellent. (laughs) Then this is where we have our first deleted scene of this section, where, had they left it in, we would have finally met Justin Finch Fletchley, who talks like he has a mouthful of marbles. I mean, did you see the jaw on that kid? He could be Jay Leno's bastard child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) Yeah. But I wish they hadn't deleted this scene. It was relatively short, and without it, we barely know who Justin is. We end up only learning his name because Harry says it later on. Though this isn't how it happened in the book, since we met Justin a while ago, the conversation between the two is similar. Yeah, he introduces himself, gushes over Lockhart, says he knows who Harry is, and then just casually mentions that he's a muggle-born. This part of the book has Hermione wondering who's going to be teaching them, thinking it could be Flitwick since she heard he was a dueling champion when he was young. Harry is in the middle of saying as long as it isn't that useless appendix when Lockhart steps onto the stage and goes through an introduction that is pretty spot-on in the movie. Yeah, and in both, Lockhart claims to have defended himself on countless occasions and tells them to see his published works for more details. <laughs> like, goddamn, like, what an appendix. Right? He's, he's such a fucking useless piece of shit. Yeah. 
Then in both, he introduces Snape as his assistant. The book has Snape already standing next to him, but the movie gives him a grand entrance where he glides onto the platform when Lockhart introduces him. Yeah, he does love his entrances, doesn't he? Though this was more of an, an oily entrance rather than a billowy entrance. He also looks like he wants to assist Lockhart's ass with his foot. <laughs> In general, Snape has some pretty fantastic sassy facial expressions during this scene. Mm -hmm. They're very subtle, but still say so much. Right? I really wish they had given us a good shot of Snape's face after Lockhart tells the students that they'll still have their potions master after he's through with him. <laughs> Oh yeah, that would have been amazing. <laughs> the majority of Lockhart's lines during this part are kept pretty much the same between the book and the movie, as he says that in the book too. Snape's upper lip was curling as he said it, and Alan Rickman would have nailed it. Oh, for sure. One of the things that I did miss from the book to the movie was how Snape and Lockhart bow to one another. Snape just sort of jerks his head, and Lockhart does this appendixy bow with much twirling of his hands, and it would have made a really nice visual. <laughs> yeah, the movie just has them sort of solemnly bow, then pace away and take up their combative positions. Though, honestly, Lockhart's combat position is pretty, uh, how'd you say? Appendixy, as you put it. Yeah, I'd call him a peacock, but then I'd feel bad for the peacocks. He's just such an appendix. <laughs> In both, Lockhart counts to three, and before he can do anything, Snape calls out, Expelliarmus, and Lockhart loses his wand and flies backwards. In the movie, Hermione asks if he is alright, and Ron says, Who cares? <laughs> and then in both, he pretends like he knew that's what Snape was going to do the whole time, and he would have been able to stop him if he wanted, but thought it would be good for the kids to see. I mean, can you believe this guy? I mean, it was pretty obvious. <laughs> After the demonstration in the book, Snape and Lockhart pair everyone off, Snape getting to the Golden Trio first and splitting them up, pairing Ron with Seamus, Harry with Draco, and Hermione with Millicent Bulstrode, who's described to look like a picture Harry had seen in Holiday with Hags. <laughs> so she's a looker is what I'm getting from this. I mean, large and square, aggressively jutting jaw? Sure. Looker, uh-huh. But this partnering activity turns out to be a complete disaster. And I'm starting to think that Dumbledore forced Snape into being Lockhart's assistant during this just so somebody who could be considered a capable adult was present. Probably, which, which almost but not quite makes me feel bad for Snape. No, you can't have the job you want, but you can assist the absolute appendix that I did hire for the position. Exactly. <laughs> Poor Snape. Mm. Not really. Wah. <laughs> <laughs> but during this partner dueling practice, Lockhart tells them to disarm only and counts to three. Malfoy starts on two and hits Harry with a spell that causes him to stumble. Harry retaliates with the tickling charm Rick Sempra, leaving Malfoy on the ground wheezing with laughter, but still able to cast Tarantelegra. Harry's legs start jerking around uncontrollably. By the time Snape says finite and cantatum, the majority of the students are on the floor. <laughs> Nearly everyone freezes, aside from Millicent Bulstrode, who has Hermione in a headlock. Just, just really just threw those wands out, didn't she? Right? Jesus. Lockhart says he'd better teach them how to block unfriendly spells and asks for Longbottom and Finch Fletchley to be a volunteer pair. Snape steps in at this point and says that Longbottom causes devastation with the simplest of spells and that they'll be sending what's left of Finch Fletchley to the hospital wing in a matchbox. He then recommends Malfoy and Potter. That's not how it happened in the movie. Snape tells Lockhart that he should first teach them to block spells, and Lockhart responds by not fucking doing that. <laughs> he just pulls two second years up and is like, have at it, bitches. Ugh, typical appendix. Typical. But yeah, they bypassed all the partner dueling and went straight into asking for a volunteer pair. Lockhart chooses Harry and Ron, and Snape says that Weasley's wand causes devastation with the simplest of spells, and suggests Malfoy instead. Which honestly was slightly nicer than him saying that about Neville. Yeah. Because it was just about Neville's abilities, whereas Ron's wand was all fucked up. I agree. I agree. I liked it better towards Ron than Neville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But just like in the book, they have Lockhart say on the count of three, cast your charms to disarm only. And Malfoy starts on two, because he's a dick. Though in the film, he actually says, averte statum, and sends Harry flipping backwards, not just causing him to stumble. Fun fact, averte statum basically just translates to overturn state. So it makes a lot of sense that Harry went flipping the way that he did. That checks out for sure. And just like in the book, Harry responds in kind with Rick DeSempra, though the movie does not portray this as a tickling charm, and damn, I wish we could have seen the proper effect of Rick DeSempra on Draco. Tickling sounds so much funnier than sending Draco ass over apple cart for the second time in this movie. Rick DeSempra roughly translates to always laughing, so the charm makes much more sense being said for a tickling charm rather than an ass over apple cart charm. Right? Then Snape pulls Draco back up and pushes him back to the duel. Draco then casts Serpent Sorcia, and a cobra shoots out of his wand and lands in the middle of the platform. It happens a little differently in the book. Harry and Draco are about to duel one another in front of everyone. Lockhart gives Harry some instruction, demonstrates a complicated wand twirl, and drops his wand. Snape just whispers into Draco's ear. The two boys face each other and Lockhart tells Harry, just do what I did. What, drop my wand? <laughs> right, sassy Harry strikes again. <laughs> Malfoy asks Harry if he's scared, and Harry says, you wish. Yeah, that basically happens in the movie, too. And I wish this exchange would have carried into all the other movies, too. You know, like, scared Potter. You wish. It would have been a nice little callback if they had included it in the other films, I think. Yeah, I agree. But in the book, Lockhart counts from three to one, and Malfoy says, Serpent Sorcia, which basically means snake comes out of. So again, that spell makes a lot of sense. The book also describes the snake as being long and black, which could possibly be some sort of rat snake rather than a cobra. It also implies that Snape suggested Malfoy cast that particular spell, when the movie has Malfoy basically do it on his own after Harry hits him with Rictusempra. Maybe it's just something that you learn first day in Slytherin, is just how to cast snakes at shit. <laughs> Seems legit. Right? But Draco's face, when he looks back at Snape after conjuring the snake, he's just like, look it, look at what I did, Snape. Look it, look it, I did a thing. <laughs> he does look pretty proud of himself. Right? He's super stoked. <laughs> but the rest of this scene lines up pretty well. In both, Snape tells Potter not to move and says he'll get rid of it. But then Lockhart appendixes his way in, saying, allow me. He casts a charm on the snake, sending it flying into the air and succeeding only in pissing off the snake. I mean, hissing off the snake. <laughs> In the movie, Lockhart actually says the charm, Alate Ascendere, when the book doesn't actually put words to the spell. I always assumed that the book never really gave actual phrases to many of Lockhart's spells, because he doesn't actually know which spells he should use to do what. Hmm. So he just does them all wordlessly, and then he can never be blamed for blatantly saying the wrong thing. Yeah, that checks out. And that's what I'm pretty sure that he did in the movie, since alarte ascendere roughly means winged ascent. So his spell specifically sent that snake flying into the air, and I don't see how he thought that was a good idea. I just don't think that he thought. That is a valid point. Right? In the movie, the extremely pissed off... Pissed off? Yeah, I'm not saying that. The pissed off snake sets its sights on Justin Finch Fletchley until Harry calmly walks towards it, creepily hissing out a different language. The snake backs off and calms down, giving Snape the opportunity to say Vipera Ivanesca, all while looking at Harry as if he had just asked him to perform a duet with him at his karaoke party. <laughs> karaoke party. <laughs> That's not how it happened in the book. Though the snake does also set its sights on Justin, Harry runs at it yelling, leave him alone. And the snake backs down. Snape vanishes the snake in the book, but we don't get an incantation for it. He probably would have just said Ivanesca, which means disappear. Mm -hmm. Vipira would obviously refer to the snake, but it makes me think specifically of vipers and the snake wasn't a viper in the movie. Probably not the book either. But regardless, the snake vanishes. Yeah, that's all I care about at that point, to be honest with you. <laughs> In both, Justin wants to know what Harry is playing at, and everyone is looking at Harry with confusion and fear. I mean, honestly, that's probably how I would look at somebody if they just started speaking a strange snake language in front of me. Well, yeah. 
Someone starts hissing? Yeah, I don't know about you. I'm fucking right off. It'd be really interesting to know how other people would react to that. That's what I'm doing. But yeah, let's see what our keepers want to do there. The movie then transitions into the trio entering the common room, with Ron telling Harry he is a parcel mouth and asking why he didn't tell them. The book is similar, having Ron pull Harry out of the Great Hall followed by Hermione, leading them back to their common room. The conversation is pretty much the same between the two, aside from Hermione stealing some other lines. Yeah, Harry doesn't know what a parcel mouth is. In the book, Ron tells him it means he can talk to snakes. In the movie, Hermione explains it. In both, Harry says he knows he once accidentally set a snake on his cousin Dudley at the zoo. But the book does give a few more details of the story and specifies that the snake was a boa constrictor. And in the movie, he says python. Which makes sense, since the first movie had the snake as a Burmese python rather than a boa constrictor. In both, Harry says he bets loads of people can talk to snakes. The book has Ron explaining that it isn't a very common gift and it's bad, whereas the movie, shockingly enough, has Hermione stealing Ron's line, because, you know, she'd totally know what gifts are common in the wizarding world. Totally. I mean, she does read a lot, but... Eh. In both, Harry also doesn't understand how it could be bad, since he was able to tell that snake to leave Justin alone, and Ron's like, oh, is that what you said? (laughs) And a very confused Harry's like, you were there, you heard me. (laughs) And he ends up learning that he actually spoke a different language without even realizing it. But he still doesn't realize why this is supposedly so terrible since the snake didn't attack Justin. This is when Hermione speaks up in the book and actually says her own damn line in the film, telling Harry that Salazar Slytherin was famous for speaking to snakes. Ron adds on that the whole school is going to think that he's his great, great, great-grandson or something. The book actually says great-great-great-great-grandson, but I'm sure it was important to save the time and drop the extra unnecessary great. Well, definitely a time saver, obviously. Harry tries to deny it, but Hermione points out that Slytherin lived over a thousand years ago, and for all they know, he could be. At this point, the book shows us that Harry has trouble sleeping that night and reminds us again that even though Harry is in Gryffindor, the Sorting Hat wanted to put him in Slytherin. The movie transitions right to the trio working in the library, but there is a deleted scene of Harry having an introspective moment looking out on Hogwarts. I'm still convinced that this was cut because it was a missed opportunity for a musical number, though. I mean, he was even staring into meaningful water, you know, like the Disney princesses say to do. I know, he's like, who am I? What am I? And (laughs) could totally become a song, but it would never be a breakaway pop hit. Yeah, that's probably why it was cut, though. So we just have the trio in the library, but everyone is staring at Harry, and he decides to go back to the common room. The book explains that their herbology class is canceled due to a blizzard, and the trio are hanging out in their common room. Harry would have seen Justin there and wanted to explain what actually happened at the dueling club and was fretting over the fact that he didn't get to see him. Hermione tells him to go find him if it's that important, and Harry heads off to the library to see if he might be there. He does find a group of Hufflepuffs and overhears them talking shit about him. There is yet another deleted scene that actually shows this exact conversation, though the setup is a bit different. As Harry is leaving the library, he pauses outside, but still in earshot of Ernie McMillan talking shit to Hannah Abbott. Yeah, it's pretty much straight from the book, with Ernie saying that Justin was waiting for something like that to happen since he let it slip he was muggle-born. Hannah says that Harry always seems so nice, and he made you-know-who disappear so he can't be all bad. Ernie goes on to say that no one knows how Harry survived, and it's probably because he's a dark wizard, and you know who tried to kill him because he didn't want the competition. That's pretty fucking judgy, honestly. Like, Ernie is proof that there are dicks in every house. Oh, for sure. The books describe Ernie as pompous. I'm sticking with dick. And if you're really convinced someone is the heir of Slytherin, why be a dick to him? Like, surely you'd only be putting a target on your back. Like I said, the books describe Ernie as pompous, not smart. Okay, but real talk, though? That would suck so hard to feel like everyone thinks you're doing something terrible, but you don't remember doing anything, and there isn't any way to prove that you didn't. Yeah, I feel so bad for Harry during this part, especially with the look on his face when he's overhearing Ernie talk to Hannah. Mm -hmm. Just, like, all of the feels. Honestly. 
I wish they'd left this scene in. Obviously, they couldn't keep this scene in after they deleted Justin's introduction, because without that scene, he never let it slip that he was a muggle-born. Yeah, well, I wish they hadn't deleted any of them. Same, obviously. But like we were talking about previously, the book really set up the run-ins that Harry had with squibs and muggle-borns. And Ernie's conversation with Hannah in the book does go into a bit more detail, really setting this concept up for the readers. He says that Enemies of the Air Beware was written on the wall, and Potter had a run-in with Filch, then Filch's cat was attacked. Then he was being annoyed by Colin Creevy after the Quidditch match, then Colin was attacked. Also, in the book, Harry actually confronts them. Like, clears his throat and steps out and just, like, shocks them. Mm-hmm. Surprise, motherfucker! All lies, motherfucker! (laughs) 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 But he tries to defend himself, and he and Ernie just end up arguing about what really happened during the dueling club, and Harry ends up storming off, running right into Hagrid, who's carrying a dead rooster. Which is actually yet another deleted scene. Harry runs right into Hagrid on the stairs with a dead rooster. The deleted scene stays pretty true to the book, too. In both, Hagrid explains that something has been killing the roosters and asks if Harry is alright. Am I the only one disturbed by Hagrid saying Harry looked hot in and In Chamber of Secrets, what did the no, Dursleys send Harry I mean, as a Christmas gift? hot and bothered gift? can also mean frustrated or irritated, eh. but pulling a boner can also mean making a silly mistake, and that saying has pretty much gone the wayside. So maybe using hot and bothered to mean frustrated should too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Sorry, you said pulling a boner. (laughs) That's probably why they deleted the scene. But in both, Harry doesn't want to talk about what is bothering him. He says he has a lot of studying to do and rushes away. In the book, it's because he needs to get his transfiguration books. But either way, he heads up the stairs and ends up in another corridor. This is where the movie actually transitions to after Harry leaves the library. So they're still staying pretty well lined up, despite deleting chunks of it. Yeah, the main differences here are that in the book, Harry isn't really paying attention to where he's going and literally trips over the petrified Justin. And then from the ground, he notices the black and smoky, petrified, nearly headless Nick. In the movie, he turns the corner and spots nearly headless Nick first, then sees Justin on the ground. Like, I'm not gonna lie, if I turned a corner and saw Justin petrified on the damn ground, I'm turning the fuck around and hightailing it to Mexico. I'm not kneeling down to give him some weird fucking high five. I actually kind of wonder how other people would react in this situation, too. Yeah. Like, if you were at Hogwarts when the Chamber of Secrets was opened, and you turned the corner and found somebody petrified, would you just run or would you try to help him? I mean, if everybody thought I was the one who was doing that shit, I'm running. Right. No, we're gonna ask that. As a, a Potter pondering too. Yeah. This is also one of the few cases where I would actually describe the book as being more dramatic than the film. Because while Harry's trying to figure out what he can do to help them, Peeves shows up and begins screaming that there was another attack and that no mortal or ghost is safe. This draws tons of students and teachers to the area, including Ernie McMillan, who declares Harry to be caught in the act. Well, obviously the film can't have Peeves discover them, because who the fuck is Peeves? Right. So instead, Filch rounds the corner, steals Ernie's line, and says he'll have him out this time. Before Harry can protest, he leaves and returns with Professor McGonagall. Though before they come back, the film feels the need to really drive in the fact that the spiders fleeing the castle is important, and shows them to us again. The spiders are actually mentioned in the book, too. There were lines of them scuttling away from the bodies. And the illustrated version of the book also has these extremely realistic spiders painted all over the pages of this chapter. And there was a couple of times while working on the summary at night, I spooked myself into thinking there was an actual spider on the book. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually slammed the book shut and laughed at myself and then decided it was probably time for bed. I mean... I'm laughing, but I know I would do the same goddamn thing. (laughs) Like, as I've said before, I don't trust anything with less than two legs and more than four. And that's definitely got way more than four fucking legs. And I just, I'm not okay with that. No, uh -uh. Mm uh-uh. Yeah. But anyways, 
Like I said, in addition to Peeves shouting and crowds of people gathering, Peeves also composes a song singing, Oh Potter, you rotter, oh what have you done? You're killing off students you think is good fun. I'm definitely missing Peeves singing that song. It's another missed opportunity for a musical number. I'm just missing Peeves in general. (laughs) But McGonagall is the one who handles everything in the book as well. She silences Ernie and Peeves, gets Justin carried to the hospital wing, and has Ernie waft nearly headless Nick there with a conjured fan. She also sends everyone else away until it's just her and Harry left. Which is how the movie had it to begin with, without all the extra spectacle. Then in both, McGonagall leads Harry to Dumbledore's office. The password is the same in both, but in the movie, McGonagall has Harry step into an alcove with a griffin statue, and when she says, Sherbert Lemon, it begins to lift Harry up on a spiral staircase. Yeah, and in the book, when she says Sherbert Lemon, it's a gargoyle statue that springs to life and reveals the spiral staircase. But in both, it ends with Harry about to enter Dumbledore's office. And this will bring us to the new actors we see in this section. We mentioned her earlier in this episode, but Shirley Henderson is Moaning Myrtle. As we were saying, she was actually 36 when they filmed this, which... I, I know you think that's strange. She had the voice for it. I mean, that's... that's. I don't think she looks 36 in no. that scene either. Well, I mean, everybody looks younger when you put them in pigtails. There's that. make them into a ghost. I just, like, <laughs> it is strange that she was that much older, but she didn't look that much older. And... That wailing. Yeah. Like, who else could have done that? Well, like I said, she had the voice. And she did well, don't get me wrong. I loved her as Moaning Myrtle. I just thought it was interesting, like, when I was like, wait. That's like me being Moaning Myrtle. Well, how's your disparaging remarks and wailing? I mean, I was a smoker for, like, 15 years, so not as good as they used (laughs) to be. But I am pretty down on myself. That comes naturally. Got the disparaging down. I just Yeah. I definitely have that down. I don't know if I'd be down with the extreme swirly, but (laughs) what are you going to do? But in general, though, she's known for her voice, too. Like, that's that's just her voice. Yeah. I honestly think, because you were asking that, I honestly think that they sought her out Mm -hmm. because of her voice. That's possible. It was just, it it really was perfect for Moaning Myrtle. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. And even though most of his scene was cut out, we do sort of meet Edward Randall as Justin Finch Fletchley. A.K.A. the bastard child of Jay Leno. (laughs) Although I honestly thought that he didn't have a lot to do and we didn't even really get to know who he was in the movie the way that they produced it. But yeah, he was exactly how I imagined Justin Finch. Really? The way he gushed over Lockhart and was just, oh, and I know who you are. And I was down for, well, he said down for Eaton in the book. But yeah, talking about being muggle born, like he just... I just felt like he did it. Because it's not like he was a very likable character. I mean, he, just, he was just a character, I kind of felt. Yeah. Like, he was he was kind of just nondescript. He was like a living MacGuffin. Yeah, pretty much. But I thought, like, for what we knew about Justin, that's how I pictured it. And I thought he did well. Okay, I can buy that. Maybe he needed to spit out the marbles, but... <laughs> and then other than that, the other two new actors were completely cut out. We had Ernie McMillan, played by Lewis Doyle, and Hannah Abbott, played by Charlotte Skiach. And I really wish that they had left this scene. I know we keep saying that, but yeah. they did great. Yeah. Hannah Abbott, she was adorable and, like, innocent. And and we know that Neville ended up marrying her, so it would have mm-hmm. been nice to see a little bit more of her instead of them, like, making up a romance between Neville and Luna. That came out of absolutely fucking nowhere. Yeah, that one. Right. Yeah, and, you know, Lewis Doyle, he played Ernie McMillan- Really? Oh, he was totally a dick. He was a pompous dick. He was really good at it. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. He really was. He kind of, he just had that snotty mm-hmm. face that was just, it was perfect for the, yeah. for the role. It, they, I, th- I think they both did well. And mm-hmm. I think it's a shame that they didn't actually get to have their scenes in the final cut of the film. I agree. So yeah, that was where our actors this week. And that'll bring us to our Potter Ponderings, which we've got two this week. Yay! Two Potter Ponderings. How would you react if you saw someone speaking parcel tongue? And also, if you turned a corner and found somebody petrified on the ground, what would you do? Would you be like Katie and hightail it to Mexico? Hell yeah. Or would you be like Harry and try to help them? I mean, they're petrified. What the fuck are you going to do? Well, he was trying to figure out how he could help them. But maybe some of our keepers out there have a really good plan. 
So Maybe. let us know. We'll have this up on our Facebook page. So find it and share your thoughts with us. Change my mind, guys. Change my mind. We love reading them. <laughs> I'd rather not hightail it to Mexico if I don't have to, but I got no better <laughs> ideas. So there's that. Help me out. <laughs> yep. All right. We're going to move on to our sorting hat story. And this week, as we mentioned, it is from Max. He says, I'm Max, your new patron, and I thought I'd share my sorting hat story. I'm a Slytherin, and my wand is a 12-inch pine wood wand with dragon heartstring core, rigid flexibility. My Patronus is a goshawk. Like my sisters and most of my friends, when I was a child, I had the Harry Potter series read to me and had the films played almost daily at home when they first came out. I was three when the Philosopher's Stone film got released. When I was a little older but still learning to read, my mum made me read the books myself and because I was so reluctant to read anything, she would put on the audio tapes read by Stephen Fry for me to read along to. I always had a strong memory for events in the books and so found rereading them quite dull, so I only ever had my interest in the wizarding world rekindled when a new film came out or when the extra books were released. I didn't realize how important the stories were to me until I had left school and gone to university where I struggled to get along with people and was desperately looking for a group of people I could fit in with. It was during the early months when I didn't have much to do outside my student halls that I decided to read all of the books I'd brought from home, all of them being my favorite children's books. I didn't get to Harry Potter right away and when I did I found that all my memories of the books were different. I'd never been more obsessed with anything in my entire life, and for the next two weeks, I read it every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I had forgotten about trying to fit in and any social anxiety. I had rediscovered a whole world that was wonderful and perfect for me. It wasn't much later that I found the Harry Potter books were the best bonding tool available at university. A great way to make friends in England, as we all had grown up thinking that any day we would get our letters inviting us to Hogwarts. I even remember asking my parents when the letter would come, and they always replied saying it would come on my 11th birthday. Obviously, by that time, I'd realized I wouldn't be going to Hogwarts, but I cherished the memories of growing up, sure in the knowledge that I was a wizard. Learning to make butterbeer, getting my first wand, and pretending to play Quidditch on a hockey stick in the sitting room when Harry Potter was on the TV. Sorry if this is a little long, I just started writing and all the memories came back. You've made the lockdown much nicer than when it started, and I'm glad I found your podcast. Aww. Aww, he's so sweet. I don't I don't even mind it that it's that long, because no. that's such a great story. I love that he read them so much earlier, and then later rediscovered his passion for them. Right? I really love that. I think that's very interesting. Max, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Mm-hmm. We're glad to know that we make your lockdown much nicer because making this podcast and connecting with our keepers is definitely making it nicer for us, too. Those are facts right there. And if any of you other keepers out there are listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story in a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, the wood, core, and length, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. And that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, In Chamber of Secrets, what did the Dursleys send Harry as a Christmas gift? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag why bother will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. We also want to welcome and thank today's Sorting Hat story, Max Nash. In addition to having an adorable cat that looks identical to my Stella and book Mrs. Norris, he's also our newest patron, as he mentioned in his story. An Order of Merlin first-class patron at that. Welcome and thank you so much for joining our Just Keep Rolling patron family. We are so happy to have you. I'm especially happy to have another Slytherin, because it's about damn time. (laughs) 
Thanks to the generosity and support of our amazing patrons, we were able to launch our website and online store. Yay! I've shared several merchandise designs on our social media accounts, and now many of them are available for purchase, including our house animal t-shirts and watercolor prints, Bitch is a Witch and Motherfucker's a Wizard tank tops, a pride tank top and t-shirt, and our newly designed That's Not How It Happened in the Book and That's Not How It Happened in the Movie t-shirts, as well as some Just Keep Rolling swag like shirts, buttons, stickers, and more. So check us out at JustKeepRolling.com. We are also always working on other merchandise ideas to update and add to our store, and definitely let us know if there's anything that you would like to see. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated and will go towards bringing Harry Potter content your way. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 12, the Polyjuice Potion, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.